Good morning, everyone, for the benefit of those who are listening online. My name is Paul, and I have the privilege of leading the team that oversees New Life Community Church. It is very exciting that we are one church in multiple locations. I'm pers- I was writing that, I was thinking, do you know what? I just feel personally very excited that we are one church meeting in multiple locations. Woohoo! Yeah, we are taking a break from our series in Hebrews. Sorry to disappoint you on that one today. Just for the next couple of weeks before we head into our one church weekend together over the August Bank holiday. But do not fear, we will be resuming Hebrews in the first week of September. Hey, so to kick things off, I'd like to share with you why we have allocated particularly these next two Sundays to something different. Okay, New Life Community Church is overseen by four elders, myself, uh, Tim, Dale and Cain, and we have what the Bible calls a shepherding responsibility for those who are part of this church family. And the Bible identifies Jesus Christ as the chief shepherd, and so we as elders serve under the covering of his authority as ones accountable to him for the welfare of his church, and we aim to carry out we're just waiting for the... We aim to carry out instructions on how to uh, successfully get our PowerPoints sorted in time. So I'll just wait for... <laughs> I'll pause for that moment. It doesn't like my PowerPoint. So we are accountable to him for the welfare of his church, and we aim to carry out a biblical shepherding responsibility that overflows from three key areas, which I will wait just for a moment. Oh, look at that. Boom. Just like that. Thank you very much. These are the three key areas, being responsible for faithfully delivering and preserving God's instructions. So point one is really that as elders, we are accountable before God for sound doctrine in the church, which means when you look at the NLCC joinery document or our statements of faith on the website, or when you hear of any of the teaching that we deliver, it is all down out of the overflow of aspiring, I will say aspiring to handle the wonderful word of truth rightly. So when we talk about grace, or about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, or when we take communion, or when we baptize, the way that we do things here are founded upon what we believe the word of God teaches us. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And so we deliver, promote, and protect as ones who will stand accountable to God. Secondly, we are responsible for faithfully protecting the church from division that seeks to break up team and distort God's truth. A shepherding role leads to naturally protect those under the care of the shepherd. So when you read the New Testament letters, particularly from Paul, you'll see a pattern of opposition uh, that comes particularly through division. And that division comes frequently through false teaching. So if someone in the church is championing a teaching that is contrary to the truth of the gospel, if not addressed and handled well, it can result in great conflict, leading to division and great pain. There are church contexts who have gone through that process. And if we are to understand something of the way that the devil operates through that scene in the Garden of Eden, then we are to know that one of the chief ways that Satan brings disruption and disunity is through division. And thirdly, we are responsible to follow the chief shepherd and husband of the church in laying ourselves down in order that the bride, the church, may flourish 
in the relationship with Christ and their mission for Christ. So here we are talking about the sacrificial, servant-like nature of the eldership who look to the chief shepherd in Christ and the model that he sets, which in turn sets the tone for the manner in which we as a team oversee or aspire to oversee and lead this church family. Our aim is to lay ourselves down in order that the bride, the church, may flourish and be lifted up. It pleased God the Father to elevate his Son, who gave himself sacrificially. Christ humbled himself to death, even death on the cross, so that we too might be raised with him. As the Son lays himself down, so his church, his bride, becomes what Jesus describes a city on a hill. We too, as elders, in our labor, our work ethic, our attitudes and our behavior, we strive to be more like Jesus in his servant and sacrificial nature and love for the church. Is everyone with me so far? No one's, no one's paused to have a snooze yet. That's good, okay. So <clears throat> as, soon as, as soon as I say things, oh, it's all, you say the word eldership, it's like... <clears throat> Now, part of our role as eldership is to reflect and assess in an ongoing manner whether we are actually being faithful to these three key areas of guarding, doctrine, protecting the church, and seeing the church family flourish. This is something we do together as a team, as ones accountable to God. Over the last few years, we have been particularly stirred to look at the area of teaching in the local church and who gets to do it. So for us at New Life Community Church, since the beginning of the church being planted into Fordham Bridge 15 years ago or so, teaching has been primarily delivered by the elders and those we might possibly consider as future elders. However, church context within New Frontiers and the Commission family, certainly over the past five years, have changed. Some of these guys have changed their theological position on teaching in the local church And these changes have been instituted by leaders and theologians who I and the eldership team very much respect. And so, at the least, we understood that this should provoke us to do our due diligence and investigate these areas of change so that we might be convinced in our own mind, one way or the other, and uphold our our hope to be faithful with the things that God has entrusted to us. So I think it's important that you know something of our journey, and that's the intention over the next couple of weeks. Because really, if you think about like a roadmap, the church practice of teaching is really the end destination. That's where we want to get to. But what we practice is only the fruit, out, fruitful outworking of our theology. We do what we do because of what we believe. And so in seeking to answer this particular question about teaching the local church and who gets to do it, my gosh, we've gone on quite a journey finding ourselves investigating much more about the Godhead and who he is and how he behaves. We looked at the roles of men and women, the family household, the household of God, which is the church, and the biblical roles within that church family, such as elders. What do elders actually do? Please don't answer that question. Some people do say to me, I thought you'd just read the Bible and pray. Um, Well, actually, that's actually really important, and we do do that. (laughs) And we also do a little bit more. What about deacons? Okay, so do we have and should we have deacons in the church today? So we have been addressing all of these as a part of just, actually, we wanted to look at teaching in the local church. We found ourselves looking at a number of subjects as part of our journey. 
quite a journey together, which has been a great privilege, but I'm not going to lie, perfectly honest, it has been incredibly hard work. I want you to know that we have actually truly labored over this. And I say this not to puff ourselves up and gain some sort of kudos from the church. I just want you to know this has been a labor of love. Love for God and love of his church. So I hope over the next couple of weeks is to show you really the fruit of our labor, a labor and outcome which we hope proves to be a fragrant offering to the God who we love, serve, and to the glory of his, and to the glory of his name and to the blessing of his church. Amen? Yeah, amen. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to pray, and then um, I'll share what we're going to go over today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can trust it, Father. We thank you for your spirit. It brings revelation. We thank you that your spirit also leads us into all truth. Father, I thank you for the gift of theologians. Father, thank you uh, for guys who are rigorous in their academics, Lord. Father, to investigate truth, Father, and a whole truth and to honor your name. Father, we want to, Lord, lean upon your word first and foremost. Lean upon your spirit, Lord God. But also take the counsel, Lord, of those around us, Father, who you've given great gift in, in order to explore your word and, and teach us, Lord. So I just want to pray, Father, may we, uh, Father, bring the fruit of what you've delivered to us in a faithful way, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, so here's what we're going to cover today. We're going to cover God as team. We're going to cover man and woman as team. We're going to cover the household of God, the church, and the matter of authority. This is, a, this is a longer preach than normal, I'm sorry, and on a hot day, it's not the best thing to be doing, so if you do end up getting sticky, please feel free to stand up and have a little walk around. God is team, man and woman is team, the household of God, and a matter of authority. So this is us like covering the kind of big picture stuff in part one, which will lead us into looking how this affects church practice in part two. Next week. That's right, you do have to wait till next week to get the full outcomes. Uh, no. <laughs> so, God as team. God as team. Let's look at that first. God as team. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 tells us to be imitators of God as beloved children. So, in helping us to understand something of the way we are to operate and behave as the family of God, it makes logical sense that we look to God and His ways, the way He relates functions and behaves that sets the example for us there is a reason why it is not good for man to be alone there is a reason why we have plurality and eldership we have a series of creedal statements on the nlcc website for anyone who would like to understand where we land on key areas of the christian faith i want to read to you the first one it says we believe in the worship of one almighty god who is revealed to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen? This statement is based upon our confidence in how God has revealed himself through his word, that he is both indeed one God and three persons, which tells us, at the least, something of the harmony of God and the individuality of God. It also tells us something of the way that God operates, which is in team. In Genesis 1, we can read about two of the Trinity at work, the Father in creating the heavens and the earth, and God, the Holy Spirit, hovering over the waters. When we get to John chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1, we see that Jesus, God the Son, is present and instrumental in creation as well. Father, Son, and Spirit, all in the beginning, working together as one. God works in perfect relationship with himself, himself, 
each person of the Godhead, Father, Son, Spirit, understanding their role, function, and a beautiful, harmonic, working demonstration of team. If anyone saw the Man United result yesterday, you would understand how far they are from being beautiful and harmonic as a team together. And so here in Genesis, we see God as team in creation, and this is revealed further in that beautiful verse, Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image, mankind, man and woman, after our likeness. We should also note that Scripture indicates that all three persons of the Godhead are perfectly satisfied with one another. None of them are annoyed at their roles. How many of us can be annoyed at our roles in life? Um, I'm not going to say roles in church life because I don't want to open that door right now. That's good. God perfectly models what it is and looks like to operate as team. No division, no discontentment. And this demonstrates the oneness of God in operation. This is something that we do see actually beautifully reflected in the early church. The NIV translation says in Acts 4 that all the believers were in one heart and mind. Were one in heart, sorry, one in heart and mind. There was a harmony about the church. Different roles and functions all pulling in the same direction. In fact, when it comes to God, the only moment of conflict we see in Scripture is when Jesus in his humanity is wrestling with the quickly approaching sacrifice of his life. But even here, Jesus embodies perfectly humility, submission, and servant-heartedness by surrendering his will to the will of God the Father. So what we then witness within the Trinity as revealed in creation and in God's mission to reconcile a people to himself, this beautiful harmonic demonstration of team and perfect practice of headship and authority and submission through the relational roles of the Father, Son, and Spirit. And so before we start looking at man and woman's team, I think it would be helpful to have an idea of how the Bible defines those particular three terms, headship, authority, and submission. So headship is a term used to capture, by the way, all these three roles we highly value as an eldership team, so, and it's, so it's worthwhile explaining them what the Bible says about how they're defined. It's a term used to capture both title and role of one who has a primary responsibility or accountability. In the Bible, this title, actually, this role, is automatically attached to those who are fathers and husbands in reflection of the model revealed in the Trinity. Covering is probably one of the most helpful pictures the Bible gives us in helping us to view this role at work. Okay, So as soon as that title of head is given, it's like the husband or father pops up an umbrella over the family. Okay, This covering represents a God-given responsibility, a burden to protect, provide, and care for. Men in these roles are uniquely accountable before God to keep the umbrella open. And I will say at this point, it's helpful to know, it does not mean they are to carry out all the responsibility themselves. Men should view themselves as enablers, releasing their families to flourish in protection over one another, provision for one another, and care for one another. What is unique in the Bible is that if the umbrella falls, it is to the door of the husband or the father that God will come knocking. Authority is the attachment of weight, 
power, influence, and accountability given to an individual. In the scriptures, it's not necessarily about the value of that weight, power, or influence, but it's how it is exercised that proves important. So such given authority is a privilege. It includes being accountable and should be well exercised as a servant-hearted means of being a blessing to others. And finally, submission. So biblical submission is the act of laying oneself down in order that another be lifted up. It typically overflows out of a relationship of great mutual respect and is delivered out of admiration for God and one another as modeled in the Trinity. And it's highly connected to this, this character trait of humility. So when the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 5.21 talks about submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ, he is calling the church to a particular way of behaving toward one another. We as brothers and sisters in Christ should seek to elevate one another, even if that means at the expense of laying ourselves down. The wonderful thing about that is that as you lay yourself down, this is the way that God works, it pleases him to elevate you. Okay, so that's that. In a nutshell, biblical headship, authority, and submission, and how God has shown himself in his oneness and individuality to work perfectly in team, in role, function, and relationship. Which leads us nicely to look at man and women's team. Are we all okay? Good, excellent, good. Man and women's team. Okay, it is here that we will primarily give ourselves to looking at what happens in the beginning when God creates man and woman. So the early chapters of Genesis, they really act as like a springboard to help us understand, firstly, what what God declared is very good. Secondly, it also tells us the events that followed that were very bad. And thirdly, the reason actually why we see particular behaviors in the world today and actually something of the glimpse of what, into what Christ came to restore. So we're going to look at what and try to understand God's intention from the very beginning when the world was without sin, when he created man and woman to bear his image and consider what God is restoring us today, restoring to us today through the love of the Father, the redeeming work of Christ and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit starting in the areas of chapters 1 or 2. I appreciate that I'm not giving you an anchored verse today because we're going right through the stretch of Scripture. It wouldn't be helpful, I think. So God creates male and female in his image to rule together according to the parameters he has set for them. They are both blessed by God, called to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over all living things. So as image bearers of God, They have been given authority together to steward God's creation. Man and women also are in contrast to one another, which means they have differences. God didn't create this in a way to show how one is superior over the other. By no means, he perfectly demonstrates through Adam and Eve how humans are individually unique and yet beautifully share much in common. Those similarities and differences are then reflected in the rest of mankind. The most beautiful common quality that Adam and Eve shared was that they were both made in the image of God in his likeness. So Adam and Eve are to rule over and look after all of God's creation, and this is something they are to do together as a team, and in doing this, they have the blessing of God. So at this point, God's original intention, his blueprint for how mission mankind was going to be work was framed in the context of team. There was a mandate to fulfill as team. There was freedom to fulfill that mandate. And a key takeaway throughout the opening two chapters of Genesis is that this relationship and stewarding responsibility, this team effort, cannot be worked out successfully 
without the, both the similarities and differences of men and women in play. This is called the creation mandate. And I'm going to follow that by looking at the creation order. So Genesis 2.18 says, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I won't ask for questions about why you think it's not good for men to be alone. I'll try and address that why myself. Two points why it's not good for man to be alone. Firstly, God is not alone. He operates in team. That's what we are as a reference one. He is one God, yet three persons, fully satisfied himself, knows what it is to be complete, not lacking in anything. The perfection of God himself is caught up in the plurality of God. Team is what perfects. It is not until both man and women are, are made that God calls it very good. Secondly, it should also give us a clear indication that man's, mankind's natural setting for operating whilst being content and productive is worked out in the context of team and community. In perfection, being alone for man was not good. Okay, so God creates, he creates Adam first from the dust of the earth, and then he creates Eve from Adam to be a helper fit for him. So here in Adam and Eve, we are given the first marriage context. And so in that, we realize when it comes to marriage, it is no small thing for anyone who aspires to this. It is no small thing to give our time, attention, and prayer to finding the helper in life who is going to be good for you, who will be the right fit so that you can do team together. That's a side note, okay? Keeping on track, let's be reminded of God's order. Because here in Genesis 3, when we look at Genesis 3, the scripture teaches something significant about that order of creation through the fall of Adam and Eve. And it's also the kind of anchor point for New Testament teaching where the apostle appeals to the creation order as a reference point for a practice that he has particularly instituted. So order here is important. So the fall teaches something about the created order. So we just looked at everything done. God appointed to be done in the beginning was in the context of team. In the fall, the strategy is divide the team. Okay, so we've already picked that up in a key way in which Satan works against God. It's through the division of his people. In this case, with Adam and Eve, the devil takes the opportunity to raise doubt, create division, challenge God's word, his boundaries, and his integrity. And the serpent causes them to question truth, and the strategy clearly works. So here in Genesis 3, both Adam and Eve, both of them get things wrong. They were both responsible to help each other. God had given them blessing and authority over all God's living creation as team. But to Adam alone, to Adam alone, before Eve was created, God had given the instruction regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So therefore, Adam, before God, held this office of accountability and therefore unique authority for them both. He's responsible before God to teach Eve God's instructions that they, that they both may faithfully uphold God's command. Eve, by working in opposition to the instructions entrusted to Adam, shows dishonor to God and Adam's headship role. Therefore, she removes herself from that umbrella covering that Adam provides as a husband to her. So in a similar manner, Adam partakes in Eve's sinful activity, he also doesn't prevent it from happening, therefore removes himself from God's covering. The consequence for them both is that they suddenly become aware of their nakedness, meaning they're both uncovered. 
And it's here that we see God's mercy upon them. In their nakedness and their shame, God covers them both. So that, that of course, on a side note, is a, is a picture of the gospel. That in our sin, we have removed ourselves from the covering of God. And therefore, set apart from him, cast outside of Eden from where the presence of God dwells. It is in Christ's death and resurrection for all who believe that we receive a covering of righteousness that once again ushers us back into his presence. So here is what we believe the Bible teaches us in this. So Adam and Eve both had leadership responsibilities, but it's Adam who carries this unique office of responsibility for them both, what we have defined as headship. And to God, this is very good. So we believe that this is the biblical model reflected in the rest of Scripture. This is done at times beautifully and in times imperfectly. But nonetheless, it is reflected. Even though Adam and Eve both got things wrong, that hasn't changed the way God distributes that unique responsibility and accountability throughout biblical history. Not about leadership skill, not about talent, not about one sex being more deserving than the other. It's just about God's order and his way of doing things. So what does that mean for us today? How is that reflected in our daily lives? How is this reflected in church practice? So we're going to take us from now from the journey of God as team, from man and woman as team. Now we're going to look at the house of, household of of. Household of God. I'll get my words out. Okay, household of God. How are we doing? I appreciate this is a longer one, okay? It's more like a, more like a lecture, isn't it? I, I, which, if, you, uh, if you're involved in university or anything like that, there were certain lecturers that I really got on with, and, and some, some I didn't. And it, it, it pains me to say that different, different people who lead in, in teaching, you respond to or you don't respond to, don't you? And like Terry Virgo is the most amazing preacher. And I, this, I can't believe I'm saying this in public. Okay? I saw it online as well. Okay, so most amazing preacher, but he's, mon, he's monotone. I immediately, I, I can't, I'm like... And I love Terry. I love Terry's preaching. It's quality, it's gold. And yet, at the same time, I can't keep focus. Whereas I need someone to be you know, up and down and dynamic and saying and probably using pictures and all sorts for me to engage. <clears throat> uh, anyway... Thanks, Joy. Thank you. That's what we're hoping. <laughs> so family is the model that God uses in his word to teach us, you and I, the value of how we are to behave, relate, and work together in his kingdom. Husbands and fathers, wives and mothers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters. We are responsible together as team to outwork the purposes of God and enjoy the benefits of his presence and his creation. We're doing that this morning. To work together, grow together, be a blessing together. Husbands and fathers hold a unique office of responsibility and accountability before God. In exercising that faithfully, the husband-father is to honor God with the team he has been given. To oversee, cover your family or marriage is to ensure that God's instructions, his word is imparted. What this doesn't indicate is that the husband-father is the only one responsible for delivering God's instruction. Though they may have leadership responsibility, doesn't mean they carry leadership gifting. It just means they're accountable before God and able to delegate faithfully. So the imperative is more focused on enabling and releasing gifting, to lean on, one, to lean on other skill sets as identified in the family, be team, operate as team, grow together, teach one another, and do it with the grace that God has given you. Husbands and fathers, is a question, is that you? Are you faithfully, not perfectly, faithfully, 
faithfully looking to exercise that leadership responsibility that includes enabling, releasing, recognizing, gifting, and preserving God's instructions. This family model is also reflected in church leadership as well. So what we see in the New Testament are followers of Jesus being made everywhere as the gospel has been proclaimed. This results in churches being established in villages, towns, cities, and nations. Now the apostles, those who've been called and sent by Jesus, go and appoint elders to oversee God's people who make up the local church. And eldership is an office in Scripture that God has given to men whom God has qualified. There is a whole host of criteria, 1 Timothy and Titus, that tell us something about the type of elder qualities we should be looking for, like Adam, like husbands, like fathers. This is a unique office of accountability and responsibility before God. In fact, we are told that elders are more accountable before God. And in this unique, which it can, like, if, if you stir on that just for a little bit, it can, it can make you feel a little bit funny in the stomach, you know? We are more accountable before God, before the church. In this unique office, we, the elders, carry a shepherding responsibility that I've already shared to faithfully guard doctrine, faithfully protect the church, faithfully serve the church that it might flourish. As an eldership team here at New Life Community Church, this is the New Testament model of church government that we aspire to. Elders appointed for local church oversight in relationship with those recognized to have apostolic gifting. This is in order that we may play our part in making disciples and being a blessing to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In this, we believe before God that we are being biblically faithful, but also recognize that not every church will share the same expression of government in the local church family. Which means, when you look at the church structure here at New Life Community Church, you will find an eldership team of men that in accountability to God oversees a local church family that includes men and women who faithfully serve in servant leadership roles across the church. Those roles include worship leaders, community project leaders, prayer leaders, meeting leaders, kids work leaders, life group leaders, logistics strategic leaders, and other ministry leaders, all by the grace of God. Like the illustration used by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 at NLCC, we are all the body of Christ. Feet, hands, arms, legs, all of them needed, all of them vital, with Christ Jesus as the head. So we have covered some big picture stuff, looking at God as team, man and woman as team, the household of God and his church. So next week then, we're going to narrow in on our specific structure here at NLCC, particularly now that we are one church in multiple locations, because we have to change that dynamic a little bit. We'll have a look at what the Bible says about deacons, and we will most certainly get to the destination of teaching in the local church and who gets to do it. But before I close, I'd like to finish by looking at a helpful subject that will bridge the gap between part one of today's preach and part two that will follow next week, and that is the subject of the matter of authority. So we have observed that this model of team and of family starts with the Trinity. It's reasonably mirrored in God's creation of man and woman, which in turn reflects the beauty of God's relationship with his church. Family roles and practice then significantly shape the majority of the way we do life, especially in God's church. So if we believe according to the scriptures that fathers, husbands, in this case elders, have a unique authority before God for the flourishing of the church, how then is that authority to be exercised? We're going to observe a principle associated with authority. As we do that, it's important to note 
that we believe that the way authority is exercised should prove to be in harmony with other positive examples within the scriptures, because there are negative examples of the use of authority. We're trying to look at the scriptures and understand positive uses of the examples of authority. The way that God exercises authority shows us something of how we exercise authority. So in line with that observed pattern, let's consider a key principle we can observe and apply when encountering authority in the scriptures. Authority can be given. Principle is authority can be given. There are numerous examples within the scripture of authority being given from one to the other. Whilst I will not go through all of them, here's a couple of examples. So Matt 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. So this is the moment of great commission where Jesus is sending his disciples to go and make disciples. Now, in that moment, arguably, Jesus is given his church authority for the mission of Christ. But the important thing here that we want to highlight is that Jesus has been given authority from the Father. Secondly, since we've been looking in Genesis, let's remind ourselves that God gave mankind, both man and woman, authority over all the earth, including every living thing and their stewardship responsibility. God also gives authority to judges, to kings, and to prophets. Romans 13.1 tells us, For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. In Acts 14.23, we have the apostles appointing elders who have a governing authority. And we also have the apostles appointing those who would deacon, those who would serve. That's what the deacon means. It means to serve those who would have a serving authority in leadership roles. Like in Acts 6, when seven men of good reputation and full of the spirit and wisdom take responsibility for the management of food distribution for widows within the church family. The principle of authority given throughout Scripture helps to inform the way in which God delights authority to be used. Authority in the Scripture has a measure of power attached. Therefore, who gets authority and how, when it is used, is very important. To have authority is a privilege. To be given authority is a privilege. To entrust a level of authority to others is a great privilege and responsibility before God. God delights to give authority to his son. The son gives authority to his bride, the church. Like the parable of the talents, authority is not something you cling on to, but with the privilege of having it, it's something you invest in with the hope of fruitful multiplication. We're we're there, guys. We're there. Hopefully we've all caught a glimpse of this pattern of team that flows from the one God in three persons to man and woman made in his image and his likeness to the household of God, which is the church family. Team, family, role and function, character and gifting, sacrificial and elevating, authority exercised and authority given. If you have your your diaries, if you have diaries, I want to share with you two Wednesdays. I want to share them now, because obviously you, you may come out the back of this and think, well, there's nothing to talk about now, but, <clears throat> really, but <clears throat> apart from Paul's lengthy time in his preaching, okay? But I just want to share with you two Wednesdays that will be given as opportunity for an o- informal chat with the elders about anything regarding what we've shared and will share over the next two weeks, okay? So those two Wednesdays are the 24th and 31st of August, and we're going to hold those meetings in the branch because up until now we don't have any other venue that we can do that here. So we're going to do that in the branch in Fording Bridge from 7.30 p.m. and we'll be there till about 9 p.m. And you can just drop in and just have a chat with us about anything you kind of want to work through, uh, anything you've heard, and, um, and we'll be happy to spend, spend some time with you guys.
Of course, we have just hit the bigger picture stuff this week. There shouldn't be anything too uh, controversial in there. Next week, we, uh, there's not anything controversial next week, yes. <laughs> next week, we'll narrow how that theology is practiced as we gather as church family. Okay, let me invite the team, the worship team. We're going to uh, finish by joining us together uh, in worship. Let's stand together. Let's try and bridge this gap. Bring us to a place of worship. We worship in song. We worship through receiving the word. And we worship because we belong to an incredible God. So rich in who he is and how he does things. And so wonderful that we are caught up into this wonderful mystery of knowing him and being known by him. So we're going to stand together. And as we respond in worship, I just I want to read to you this passage of scripture. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. We come before you, God, you who are sat on the throne, the myriads of angels, the living creatures and the elders in your church, falling at your feet. We are caught into the wonderful mystery of knowing you and being known by you. And God, we, we come here before you saying we want to be faithful to you. So Lord, as we look to you afresh, Lord, even now, out of the overflow of your word, how does help us to be caught up into the wonder of who you are. We love you, Lord. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.